How many of you watch a movie that you know the ending of, but you know you're going to enjoy the movie anyway? Because you, Right? There's something about that that really helps us. There's something about knowing the end of the story. And part of what makes our trials so difficult is that often we are uncertain as to how they'll end. Right? Because if you told us that the way that my trial is going to end is going to be ultimately bad and it's, I'm going to come to my end, in some ways that would be better than not knowing, wouldn't it? I mean, because at least if I knew what the end result would be, I could prepare for it. And if I knew that the end would be good, then I could endure because I know where the end's going to be. And so as we come to the promises of God this morning, I would just want to remind us that, in fact, as Christians, we do know the end of the story. We really, really do. Let's pray together. God, please help this time to be encouraging and helpful that we would hear your truth and that we would believe it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We've been talking about the promises of God and anchoring our lives, and this is our last class, um, but we won't have any equipped class in December, and we'll start back up in January. We've been talking about the promises of God, and I love this thought. What is a promise? God's promises are the assurances that he gives his people so they can walk by faith while they wait for him to work. They help us get from where we are to where we're going, and we know God's at work, and they just help us along the way. So we've been learning about promises, and here are a few things we've tackled. God is a promiser. By nature, you can see that all through his word. He always keeps his promises. Joshua 23, not one word of his promises fails. He wants us to test his promises. They've never failed, so you can lean on them, and you can say, God, I'm going to take this step of faith, And I'm going to trust you because I know you're faithful. I know you've made me promises and I know you're going to keep them. So I'm going to step out here. And God's not afraid of that. Now, don't do it foolishly. Don't do it recklessly. Don't don't, uh, tempt God in some way. But as you read his word and as you see his promises, just step out. You can test his promises. A couple last thoughts today. That should obviously be number five, not number one again. But God's promises are activated by faith. Uh, Look Turn to Titus 1. We'll come back to Isaiah. Titus 1. I just want to show you these couple things real quick as we think about God's promises. Titus chapter 1. Paul, this is right at the beginning of the book. Why did Paul write this book? Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, so that God's people would believe and know what is true which accords with godliness. So when we know the truth and when we believe it, it produces in our lives what it should. Produces godliness, which which accords with godliness in hope. Here's where promises come into place. In hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word. So there's this connection between God's promises and faith. And this is is kind of self-evident, isn't it? That God's promises are nice, but if you don't believe them, they don't matter to you. That that what Jesus did on the cross is amazing, but if you don't place your personal trust in it, then it does nothing for you. It's a historical event, in fact. That it requires us to believe. We actually have to like step out on the promise and say, God, you've promised that you will provide for my family. You've clearly led in my life for me to change jobs. I know I'm taking a pay cut, 
but I know it's the right decision, so I'm going to step out here and say, God, you, you'll provide. I trust you. Well, I don't know how it'll all work. Right, that's, that's faith. Well, I'm not sure what the end result will be. Right, that's faith. Well, well it might fall through. It, it won't. God is faithful. When we moved here, I shared a little bit of this this morning in our time of Thanksgiving. When we moved here, we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God wanted us here. But we also knew that our financial situation was tight personally. And then that the job that God had clearly led in and provided in left like an $800 a month gap in our budget. Okay, those are things you don't really like love or want in life, right? But we knew God was in it. And I could look back over the 12 months before my job situation got a little better and that gap started to close. And I couldn't tell you exactly what God did in all 12 of those months. But I could tell you that I, we never ended a month with more than $500 in our checking account. And we never ended a month with less than zero. What did God do? He was always faithful. And we just stepped out. And we're like, we know we're right where you want us. We know we're doing what you want us to do. But we're just going to have to trust you in this. So promises require us to live by faith. Now, as a numbers guy, I don't quite think I lived like Abraham without wavering in my faith. There were times that I doubted, and there were times that I didn't think it was going to come together, and there were times I was afraid. But God always keeps his promises. He's faithful, and we just need to respond in faith. And then lastly, God's promises are experienced in Jesus. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanius and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. God is faithful. For all the promises of God find their yes, their fulfillment, their experience in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. That can be a confusing verse, but the idea is that God has made all these promises and they all find their fulfillment. They all find their pinnacle in Jesus, right? So think about this. The first promise we looked at was God will send a savior. That one's pretty self-explanatory, right? Like Jesus is the savior. So that one clearly finds its fulfillment in Jesus. But think about the other promises that we've looked at. We looked at the promise that God is always with us. How does that promise find its place in Jesus? He said, yep, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come and be with us. That's a good connection. I hadn't even made that one, so nice job, Ben. What was the name of Jesus we talked about this morning? Emmanuel, God with us. This is what it looks like when God is personally, physically with you. And Jesus lived that out. The last promise we've looked at is that God is always good. How does that promise find its fulfillment in Jesus? He tells us he's the good shepherd. You want to see what it looks like to be cared for by someone who has your perfect interests at heart? Good care. What does the good shepherd ultimately do? He lays down his life for the sheep, right? So there's a connection with Savior, Shepherd. Jesus spent his whole life going about doing good for people. He embodied goodness. Now, was goodness always just, um, kindness might not be the right word, was, was goodness just always things that we would think of as good? Did Jesus ever do any hard things? Yeah, but those hard things, even in their heart, they were good. So as we think about the promises, they all find their connection point 
in Jesus. So don't lose sight of that. So let's go to one last promise, and it really identifies the answer that we need as we deal with uncertainty. Go back to Isaiah 54. We've talked about this idea of needing anchors because life is filled with storms. And one of the hardest parts of storms is not knowing when or if or how they're going to end. When we were in our tent down at um, Valley of Fire State Park in Nevada this spring, and we got in the windstorm, like the storm starts, right? And what immediate questions am I asking? How long is it going to last? Is it going to get better or worse? Right? Like, don't you have this hope in yourself every time the wind dies down a little bit that it's the end? So we're, we're like bracing ourselves up against the corner of the tent while this windstorm blows through. And we're a pretty, pretty sorry sight, you know, at some point. And you've got little bits of sand in your ears and in your teeth, and it's pretty awesome. Some of you are like, that's why I don't camp. I get it. So as the storm is blustering, you're just like, how long is this going to go? And then when it dies down, you're like, okay, maybe it's going to stop now. And then, and then it would rise up again. And then, man, I wish I just knew. It's going to be done in an hour. Great. Start the watch, an hour. You know, and there you've got no cell phone reception, so you can't even be like, check the weather. <laughs> but that's how life feels sometimes, doesn't it? There's just that uncertainty hanging over you. It's, you kind of feel like this. You ever feel like that? You see what's happening in life, and you're like, where in the world is this going? So here's the great promise, Isaiah 54. When Greg Baker preached on this section of God's Word a few uh, weeks ago in October, he made the point that Isaiah 53 is about how Jesus would come and, and pay the price for sin, and then Isaiah 54 is about the peace that God offers, the blessing of following him, and then Isaiah 55 is the call to do that. So Isaiah 54, let's start in verse 11. O afflicted one, stormed, tossed, and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. There's a hopeful future. I will make your pinnacles of agate, your gates of carbuncles, and all your wall of precious stones. He said, I don't really care about that. Well, keep going. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. And great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established. You will be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravisher, ravager to destroy no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Sadly, this is one of those verses that's often quoted in a prosperity way. But, but can you listen to what God is saying to you if you know him? Right? That, that the future is not in question. The end result is not uncertain. If Christ is your Savior and you're following God, then he has it under control, right? He says two things here. He says this, no weapon formed against us will prevail. What does that mean? Nobody can ultimately do anything against you that will jeopardize your soul. 
Nobody can do anything that will ultimately destroy you if you know Christ as your Savior. Now, we live in a, a part of the world where that's probably not something that we greatly fear. Just got an announcement yesterday on Facebook that I have some friends who live back in Kentucky that are going to be part of a, a church plant, but not in Hawaii, not in Saratoga Springs, in Ethiopia. That's cool. I'm really excited for them. Fascinated to watch the journey and, and the sight that they get to be a part of it. But like they're going to the part of the world where there is real danger for followers of Jesus. But we live with suffering and we live with danger in the world that we live in. It's just probably not in that same sense. We don't fear someone coming to attack us physically. But this verse doesn't end there, right? It says, no, nothing that anyone tries to do to you will ultimately prevail. But look at what it says after that. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. And that's this, no word spoken against us will prevail. Isn't this more where we fear? That, that someone's going to slander our reputation? Or they're going to say something critical. They're going to they're discourage us with their words. They're going to say something that harms our children or distracts our children or they're going to say something that would really hurt us. And what Isaiah is reminding these people is it's not just about what people would do to you, but it's also their words that can't ultimately harm you. And this theme isn't just limited to Isaiah, right? I mean, look at some of these verses. Just a reminder that the ultimate end is not in doubt. Romans 16 verse 20. That's a great verse. The God of peace, right? So you're like, oh, God is a God. Will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of God be with you. <laughs> right? Like, it's like Paul's wrap up. He's like, and by the way, Satan will be destroyed. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. Right? And sometimes we have to remind ourselves of that phrase, don't we? It's just a matter of time. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 and 58. This is the great chapter on the resurrection, and here's how it ends. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And go ahead with 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Roger. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And then Revelation 20, verse 11, the end of the story, the real end end of the story. And I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. For his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. Right, the end of the story is that Christ is victorious. And I'll tell you, even as I was writing this slide, I was tempted to say, God will be victorious. But, but do you know the tense of all these verses is God is victorious right now. now. Now, we haven't got all the way to the end and we haven't seen ultimate, the ultimate triumph of Jesus over Satan, of God over his enemies. We haven't seen the ultimate restoration of earth and heaven. But God is victorious right now. I mean, listen to 2 Corinthians 2. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumph. The point is we don't have to live in defeat right now. 
we don't have to live wondering what the outcome is. God is being victorious, and God will be victorious. And if we're living day to day discouraged, unhappy, disgruntled, then, then we're missing part of the story. We're missing one of the promises. We, one of our tent pegs is out. And that corner of our tent is moving like crazy. But don't we need that reminder in the middle? I appreciated how Danny said it this morning, that we're all in the middle of the story. We, we haven't gotten to the end yet. But, but can you see those little evidences of how God is victorious right now? Can you see those little ways that the fruit of the Spirit is being formed in your life? Can you see those little opportunities that he's giving you to talk to someone and you're seeing the, the God's words start to take root in the life? Can, can you see, or are we so focused on the problems and the things that are how we wish they weren't that we're missing that God is actually victorious right now? You say, well, I want to get to the end. Me too. Me too. I remember in Indiana, we had a farmer who was very influential in our church. And um, he, actually, he actually died in a grain bin accident. So he essentially got caught and uh, drowned in a grain bin. It was an awful situation. But those kind of things happen in farming communities with big equipment and all those sort of things. I remember at that time, a little boy who was in the church who heard about the story and was really close to him and said, said to his dad, his dad explained to him that Mr. Dave had died and that he had gone to heaven. And, and the little boy, his, his nickname was Hershey. Uh, and Hershey said, wait, he beat us there? Like he got there first? And he's right. Like there is that sense, isn't there? So I'll leave you with these anchors. God has sent a savior he promised he would and he did so we can be forgiven. He's always with you. You don't need to fear. He's always good. You don't need to despair. And ultimately, he's always victorious. So don't fail. Stay with him. He's got it. No matter where you're at, in times of good, in times of bad, times where it all makes sense, in times where none of it makes sense, lean on the promises of God. Lord, we thank you that you are ever faithful, you never lie, that you filled your word with your promises so that we would hold on tight to them. And God, we know the temptation of our own hearts, like we sang this morning, to wander, Lord, even to, to fall away from you. And we just thank you that you will hold us fast and you've given us what we need by your spirit, through your word, in your son to stay the course and follow you. Help us to lean on your promises each day. In Christ's name we pray, amen.